You may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a real education. Dee, 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 deedly dee. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Movie Marshall, Melissa Karish. <laughs> Hello. And uh, we are joined this week by our movie, uh, we're going to call him Outlaw. Okay. Uh, uh, Kyle Decker. Hi, Kyle. Hello. Hi. So, uh, Kyle, you actually watch a lot of movies. Yes. And, and you won the silent auction at last year's Die Laughing for Fearless. And, and we had to pick a movie that you hadn't seen. Yes, so I, I worked hard. to. I put a list of movies together on my Letterboxd account that I probably should see as a film geek, but yeah. haven't. Uh, and then sent you all the lists and hit say, if there's one you'd like to do for the show, pick one. Because usually <laughs> when you put a call out, these are the movies we're doing. I'm like, seen it, seen it, seen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because we don't plan ahead very well. <laughs> so here's the one you haven't seen. Uh, we are going to watch High Noon. So the first thing we have to do is uh, have you tell us what you know about High Noon, Kyle. All I know is a lot of other movies I've watched are related to High Noon X. So, like, I watched Outland recently, and some they're like, it's High Noon in space. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm like, that metaphor doesn't work for me because I haven't seen High Noon, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, I liked Outland, by the I'm, way. I'm going to say as soon as you watch High Noon, you will understand why they say Outland is High Noon in space. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, uh, it's a... Uh, I think... I don't want to get too much into spoilers about this. I think uh, what I'm going to say, uh, Kyle and anybody else who watches this film, uh, you should think about the time period in which this film was made. Yes. And what it might be an allegory for. Because <laughs> um, written across it in big blinking bold letters is... Topical references. It is. It is. A, it is no question an allegory. I'm not going to say anything more than that. It's a very good film, a very good western as a western. Yes. Without, uh, without the the allegorical nature of of the film itself, mm -hmm. but uh, the allegorical nature adds a I think interesting subtext to everything that you're watching, uh, and you should be able. I mean, it's not. It's not. Subtle. Yeah, just think about 1952. What was going on in 1952? It could be anything. It could mm. be anything. Um, Early think... 50s, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, in America, yes. Yeah, it could be anything. Just any ideas that you might have about what this film well, could be I, an allegory for. Yeah, I, I have an idea. I just watched Johnny Guitar with... Oh, oh yes. Was, it was very subtle, too, about the same thing. And by subtle, not subtle at all. Not, not subtle. So, oh, so oh man. Is, I'm trying to... I'm, I'm a big Western fan, actually, mm -hmm. but I have... Westerns made prior to the 1960s are a big blind spot in my film knowledge. Mm -hmm. I'm big into the Sergio Leones and the Sam Peckinpah westerns, mm -hmm. especially tend to and the, and the other like deep down Italian non Leone Sergio Leone uh, westerns that are really weird, like the original Django and some other mm -hmm. ones. Uh, so I'm trying to fill in more classics and go back and and try and find ones that aren't John Wayne. So Johnny Guitar, I watched. Last week, a few days ago. Dear listeners, uh, Johnny Guitar is amazing. <laughs> it really is. I watched it on Amazon Prime. It was unfortunately in 4.3, but I hear it's in, I gotta may go back, it's on oh, Hulu. And, oh, oh Kyle, I have the Blu-ray. What? <laughs> it's, it's shocking to learn that you would have a film, 
available for Kyle's viewing. But speaking of a film available for Kyle's viewing, we should go upstairs yep. because it's time yeah. for us to watch High Noon. So uh, I already know what song I'm going to pick for the for the. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah I'm pretty sure. One yeah. But anyway, uh, we'll be back in just a little bit. And we are back. Many children have escaped a Sunday service. Many clocks have been framed in the shot. And uh, high noon has come and gone. So... Welcome back, and uh, we have Kyle, who has seen High Noon for the first time. So, we start with you. Hey, Kyle, what did you think of High Noon? Uh, I really liked it, and I can see why it's still on people's watch lists. Uh, kind of sets up tropes, kind of the lone <laughs> hero and everything that have now been repeated and reused and everything in cinema. Some well done, some not, but you yes. can see why it's a, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the the lone hero, the only person with morals standing up. It's like it's it's cool to see it in a, uh, for lack of a better term, more old fashioned film. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's this was it, 80, 85 minute runtime, it was still felt methodically paced, uh, with that sense of urgency with all the cuts to the clock, as you mentioned. But at the same time, no one seems to be in a hurry. They're just waiting for the clock to happen. And that kind of time is relative. It mm-hmm. almost seems like, like in a good way, like you've built the tension. Like this feels like an eternity. You know, this conflict's going to happen. But man, there's a lot of things that are happening beforehand, and they're all just ugly humanity things. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, uh, and uh, Outland is actually a uh, not just it's not just like oh that's high noon in space. It was literally an adaptation of high noon. High noon. In, in space. space. <laughs> well, the, uh, the first like third of it though was like just a straight police procedural mm-hmm. though. Uh like the the third act is definitely high noon in space, even with instead of a train coming and the space transport coming. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Everything. It's a little different, but it is. It, it, they didn't make a secret about it in Outland. They they yeah. were making high noon in space. Right. Uh, that's that's what they were doing, and th- there have been other adaptations of of high noon, and obviously, as you said, it's a trope that. Uh, you will see again. Uh, I mean, we we did Die Hard a few episodes back, and Die Hard has some DNA in common with High Noon. Mm-hmm. You know, even if Die Hard then takes that to a uh, '80s explosive extreme, <laughs> but with Yandabad, Yandabad. <laughs> I'm going to uh, make that joke as often as I possibly can. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so this, uh, as we mentioned, this film is an allegory. Uh, and again, if you watch the movie with us, you should be pretty clearly uh, aware that this is an allegory from the McCarthyist uh, actions of the House on American Activities Committee. Uh, there, there's no secret about that. Yeah, absolutely none. Yeah, it's uh, well, Carl Foreman, the the guy who wrote the screenplay, uh, was very briskly blacklisted after this movie came out. And in he, fact, he refused to name names. Right, that's why he was blacklisted. Uh, he, he left he, the country. He, left the country. he was allowed to name. Yeah, yeah. He, was, yeah, he, was, he, yeah. He, he left the country before the film was completed. So. Uh, and and then continued to work in England. He, he wrote. Uh, did he write 
Guns in the Averon. Yes, he did. And Bridge on the River Kwai. I've seen both of those films. So. They're fine and they're films. excellent yeah. films. <laughs> Written by Sorry, a screenwriter who probably would have been blacklisted had he stayed in America. Yeah. And, and very specifically, the movie's about Hollywood not standing up to Hueck. And um, one of the interesting conflicts in the film itself is that Gary Cooper was one of the guys who was a founding member of the Motion Picture Alliance for Preservation of American Ideals which was the group of conservatives who were who wound up kind of helping drive out communists um, which is something he later regretted especially after talking to Foreman and Foreman later said that Gary Cooper was one of the few people in Hollywood who who helped him escape to England so interesting yeah. enough the director of the film Stanley Kramer uh, now, Stanley Kramer was a producer, Fred Zinneman. Produ- producer, excuse me, yeah. producer of the film, Stanley Kramer, because uh, mm-hmm. Foreman was, I believe, a, a, supposed to be a co-producer. Yeah. And his name was taken off the credits. Yep. By Stanley Kramer. They That's had been right. friends. Yeah, and uh, we're not anymore. And they, had, and they never spoke again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some bad shit that's going on behind yeah. the scenes. Uh, one of my favorite things, I, Melissa probably wrote this down, but I think it's important to note that John Wayne hated this film. Oh, he hated this movie. he knew exactly what this movie was about. John, and, John Wayne was bitching about this movie 20 years later. Yeah. In the he, 70s. Because, you know, whatever you can say about John Wayne as an actor, uh, John Wayne as a person uh, was in full support of Senator Joe McCarthy and what he was doing at the time. Yeah. And didn't like that there was a movie that was actively against it. Um, this film was nominated for an Oscar. It, it was picture. several, yeah. And well, several Oscars. It, it won for, well, Gary Cooper won Best Actor, which is hilarious because he wasn't <laughs> at the ceremony and he made John Wayne pick up his Oscar. <laughs> uh, but uh, it also won for editing. Which is also remarkable because um, this movie basically runs in real time. Yeah, it's it's, it's just a few minutes off real time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I to say as well, but the cuts were the like some of the shots of cuts for for cutting to the actors' reaction shots. Yeah, were really good, and then. Uh, towards the end, just in the five minutes, that close-up of the pendulum of the clock, yeah. that's a really beautiful shot. Yeah. Uh, well, so if can, you notice, the pendulums were always in time with the score. The, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. I enjoyed. And which which also <laughs> I, won I also an Oscar. Also appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, the score and the song uh, both won Oscars, too. Do so. not forsake me, yeah, oh my, my darling. darling. And apparently an early cut of the film had the song everywhere because Fred Zinneman, the director, loved the song and put put the song in so frequently that the test audience started giggling at it and making fun of it by the end. Which seems like a bad thing to do yeah. in this movie. Yeah, so... It's uh, not like a, a giggler. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. Not. not. So a laugh riot. So they took the song out of most of those instances and instead kind of wove it into the score. And this is actually one of the early... Um, films to kind of take that theme song and weave it into the score as a leitmotif. So it's, it's mar- yeah. remarkable in that. It, uh, yeah. Uh, but, but this movie did not win Best Picture because the movie that won Best Picture was The Greatest Show on Earth, which is kind of a... Not a, a puzzler. It's not it's a, a puzzler. No, it's not a puzzler. It, um, Greatest Show on Earth was directed by Cecil B. DeMille, yes, who was I a supporter know. of the House of Un-American Activities. But if, if, if you're just going by what movie's better... It's right. A puzzler. <laughs> it's a uh, puzzler. Yeah. But when you know what's going on, yeah, it's not a. The, the reason is. High Noon didn't win is because uh, 
McCarthyism. Mm-hmm. Or, so, or at least that's the way it's theorized. And it seems reasonable. Well, because Greatest Show on Earth, which I've watched... Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a slog. It's a slog. It's, a slog. it's not good. It's not... Yeah, I mean... Cecil B. DeMille made some fine films in his day. And he did, and, and there's certainly a lot of spectacle on show in The Greatest Show on Earth, but, but we oh, did The Ten Commandments, man. which is Cecil B. DeMille, and yeah, it's fine. And that's a fine, fine movie. At some point, we need to do epic. Birth of a Nation. Uh, uh, yeah, but that'll be anyway. We've got, we've got a lot of time. We might be dead before that happens. Yeah, yeah probably. Um, anyway, so, so, I mean, this, this film was unquestionably political in its, in oh, its yeah. direction. What? Uh, There's no politics in art. That's what <laughs> There's never been politics in art. <laughs> um, <and laughs> um, but, I mean, it's also notable for a lot, like, I believe this is one of the first, or the first film for Lee Van Cleef. Um, yeah, this was, I think, his first film. This was his debut. Who yeah. was? I didn't. I was looking for it. He was one of the. Vi- he, he was the he villain was, that really. Well, if you look for his eyes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, he was originally hired to be one of the uh, townspeople, like one of the sheriffs or something like that, and um, he he arrived and I think it was the director said, "Eh, you look." No, it was Stanley Kramer. Uh, Kramer wanted. Lee Van Cleef to have a nose job so he didn't look quite as villainous and he refused to have his nose done so he got recast as a villain and started a long career as such. <laughs> oh, Lee Van Cleef, how I love you. Yeah, he was the, uh, he's our second, the second bad guy yeah. to die. Yeah. He didn't have a mustache, that's why I didn't recognize him. <laughs> <laughs> he was in disguise. He was, yes. Yeah. He was, he was. There, were, there was a lot of very notable actors in this. Like, um, <laughs> Jack Elam's in there for a hot second. Yeah, yep. ja- Drunk in cell number two. Uh, National treasure of Jack Elam. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Super young Lloyd Bridges. And super young Lloyd oh, yeah. Bridges. Sheb Woolley. Is in there, uh-huh. uh, the the guy who who wrote uh, the Purple People Eater song. <laughs> He's in the, in the movie. Uh, let's see, God, who? Well, of course, Grace Kelly is in it, and um, and that was one of her early earliest yeah, roles. I think she was in a tiny, tiny role in one movie before this that went absolutely nowhere, and then this was what launched her career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and High, and High Noon was was a successful film. Yeah, it, it, it did did well. Oh, it did very well. Because, of course, most people watching it had no idea what it was about because people are dumb. Uh, but, you yeah. know, that's no, It's right. a good movie. And it was in the era before the 24 news cycle, and, and if it wasn't affecting you, I'm, well, there yeah. could be something, you know, who knows. Yeah. The, the quote-unquote flyover states may not have known what was <laughs> going on in Hollywood well, or and this, not cared. And the studio system kind of kept a lot of that stuff separate, I, I feel. I mean, it was... I mean, we don't have bloggers endlessly theorizing. Well, we do now, but we didn't then. You right. know, bloggers endlessly theorizing the true meaning of every movie known to known to man. That's true. We should probably talk about Gary Cooper a little bit. Yep, Gary Cooper, definitely a notable feature of this film. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, won an Oscar and stuff. Won an Oscar and stuff. Uh, he, his career started back in the silent era. Um, he was fifty-one. 
53? I believe that is what I read. 51 he, he was about he right. was in his 50s in this movie. And uh, yeah, Marion Grace Kelly at age 22, like even back then, people were going, really? <laughs> really? Apparently they had an affair during, they, 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 during the film. A, a real, for realsies. I mean, yeah, both so. Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly were famous for uh, getting involved with their uh, co-leads. And so that apparently happened on this picture. But yeah, he he was um, he had a very good streak through the 30s. I mean, he was in Pride of the Yankees and Sergeant York and all sorts of stuff. And then he, by this time, his career was flagging and uh, High Noon relaunched his career. So he had a little bit of a rebirth in the 50s due to this movie. Well, he's he's very vulnerable in this. Even yeah. though he's a lone person with the the ethical courage to stand up and everything. Yeah. He still shows a lot of vulnerability, especially like his facial expressions. Oh yeah. All, like he, every time someone rebuffs him and everything, like you see it hurt him emotionally, but then he still has his job to do. And he just like, I can see where he won the award because uh, it's, it's, he doesn't have tons of dialogue, even though he's probably has the most of anyone in the, in the movie, Yeah, yeah. but it's still a dialogue light film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the interactions are sold by his reactions to, you know, I need help. And then whatever character he asked help for goes on the reason why they can't help. And he goes, I, I get it. Just go, you know, and you can just see the, and then uh, when the last guy, the guy who was volunteered. And then when he realized that there's actual stakes here, I was only <laughs> going to help you if, you know, I was one guy in the if, posse. If there were 20 of us standing there with guns, then nothing would have happened. And I, you know, but now that I, I actually yeah. have to risk something. Well, I'm not not really in for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when that guy leaves, like the way he f- he clenches his hand, like, yeah, this little like he doesn't. Gary Cooper doesn't say a word, but he yeah. says volumes in this the physical reaction when that man leaves. Well, I mean, yeah, there, there's there's no lectures. I he he never lectures anyone, even though they all deserve it. <laughs> yes. um, you know, n- I mean, nobody in this. Fi- I mean, even even his wife. I you know, in a lot of ways, I feel is kind of not particularly sympathetic mm-hmm. uh, because he's right. You know, if they're going to get together to come into town to kill him, they're going to find him and his wife in their little shop and kill him there. Yeah. It's like, there is no way out of this, but to, to get into a fight and that stinks. And, and you can be a pacifist and feel bad about it. And I, I would sure feel the same way, but, but he shouldn't have to explain that mm-hmm. to anyone. They but- should all understand that, him running away is just running away to get killed another day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, there's a point in that film where you're like, all of you are like, oh, you should run. This is our problem. It's like, no, it is his problem. And even if, even if he does run, even if for some reason this gang of four decides that they're not going to kill him, that they're just going to wreck the town, they're just going to wreck the town. It's like one way or another, somebody's got to stop him. Mm-hmm. And and he's the only guy willing to stand up. And he's standing up in part because he has no other choice. But in part because he recognizes that even if this town isn't going to help him, they need help from somebody. Right. Well, and they even, they, they in case, I'm like, uh, every time the town says, this is our problem, we're just going to, if you get out of the town, nothing's going to happen. I'm like, They'll still probably do bad things to your town, and 
the in the script just in case you missed that you know they do a little breaking and entering just it's you know mm-hmm. one little thing but it's just like uh the, the the main villain who they were waiting on the whole time is like we can do that later like yeah. it was always in the plan first we kill the sh- the marshal and then we ransack the town right and they're not going to stop us. And we already know they aren't going to stop us because there's only one guy standing up to us right now. Yeah, they're cowards, so we can do whatever we want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, even his, his wife, for her failure to understand, the ex-girlfriend, I, you know, I kind of understand the whole, I, I mean, I don't think the script means her to look bad, but I think she does too. Yeah. It's like her, her, her guy could help him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And all she has to do is say, yeah, why don't you give him a hand? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just, you know, one more gun would not go on. Unappreciated, really. Uh, and one more clearly skilled gun. Mm-hmm. And she denies that to him. So even the characters that are kind of painted as sympathetic, you know, the only one is the, the only character that, that comes to the realization that, you know, he needs help at the end is Grace Kelly. Yeah. And um, woohoo, Grace Kelly with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they mention multiple times she's a Quaker, which is a pacifist religion. The mm-hmm. fact that she violates that to help him is is a pretty significant gesture. Yeah, it's a huge thing. It uh, is a huge thing. And in, in the in the allegory that, that this this story is, you know, it makes it very clear that to stand up to the House on American activities committee is very difficult. Yeah. You know, she had to sacrifice a lot to make that decision to stand up to them with her husband, mm-hmm. to stand up to these gunmen, but it's really the house on American activities committee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, and I appreciate that, but like I say, I mean, there. The only person that under, truly understands the stakes is Gary Cooper. Mm-hmm. And th- I mean, the whole movie is these these people going, oh, well, you know, that we made more money. Things were better for me when these guys were And then were plenty of people said it wasn't. You couldn't have a family. Well, you had, the, yeah, yeah. You had yeah. these women. The, 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 one, the one character in church is like, hello. Does <laughs> everybody remember what it was like when he was here? Yeah. Am I the only one? And, Hello. And and uh, in the end, if, if one of his friends is like, "Well, it's our problem." Mm-hmm. But you know that what he's really saying is, you know, when he's like, "Oh, well, we can't get factories built here if there's sort of story, sort of tale of a gunfight in town." And what he's really saying is, "Yeah, but if some guy gets shot in a shop an hour away from the town, it's not a big deal. That's not going to look bad to us." Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to trace it back. At least, even if he doesn't realize he's saying it, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, which I think uh, is, again, it's nice because Cooper's character is like, you son of a bitch. But he doesn't say anything. He's just like. Excuse me. Well, I, yeah. And the same thing, a, a lot of the, like, the allo- the people not willing to stand up, everyone talks about the things. Even the, the one guy who was going to volunteer and he realized the reality is like, they always think about them and what they're risking, yeah. Rather than the, the like, they're not thinking about what will happen to the town, right? And like, they they are only thinking about themselves. And you can, you know, the 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 people called in front of Huac, you know, like they name names and 
Ronald Reagan named names and all because he yeah. could only think about himself, uh, not about others. Or, you know, if all of Hollywood had stood up and said no, mm-hmm. all of Hollywood yeah. would have would have come out of it just yeah. fine. Huac yeah. wouldn't have been able to do anything if all of Hollywood united. Like if this whole town, if every man in the town had showed up with a rifle and just waited at the train station. Mm-hmm. The guy would have gotten back on the train. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's, it's the United We Stand thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the the town was not so suddenly called Hadleyville. Yeah, it's a it's a movie. Every you kind of are like, well, screw that town, which you know is the is the the sh- that ending shot. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I love that. Just like, and just like, done. Fuck, fuck this star. Fuck all y'all. I'm out. Um, it, Not it a is, word either. Yeah, no, he just, yeah. He, he gives them a look. The look. This is that's what I liked about the performances. He did so much acting with his eyes and his face. Yeah. And he just flashed that look, and that said everything you needed to know about what he thought about the town now that his duty was done, and then he moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The look, uh, it, so many of his facial expressions are exceptional. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a great performance. Yeah. 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 It's like you, you could give somebody who did that performance an Oscar. And you yeah. did. Oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> One of my my favorite yeah. moments is after. it was the Oscar was only collected by John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Cooper won that Oscar, yeah. and then yeah. John Wayne proceeded John to bitch Wayne about the movie got. for twenty years. Yeah. John Wayne only got one pity Oscar, so yes, <laughs> <laughs> for a film that was remade better by Jeff Bridges in the same role. But and, well, and <laughs> John Wayne. Well, yeah, I like both. We, true we will, grits, we will but, say, yeah. yeah, John Wayne in my opinion, was a great actor. I have seen him in many movies. He was a fantastic actor. You can argue all day about what kind of man he was. Oh, yeah. And he certainly had his faults, but he was a great actor. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's still, still his, his, and you know, the interesting thing is Rio Bravo, which is a really good movie, Yeah, uh, is a response that John Wayne and John Ford made to High Noon. Mm-hmm. Because and then they made it two more times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rio Bravo, and then some other people made it. I mean, Rio Bravo has been made a lot. Yeah, Rio Bravo has been made a lot. They've made a lot of Rio Bravo, and, <laughs> and it's just kind of funny that and I because John Ford was a super liberal dude, and I gotta, oh yeah, and I got to figure that to him it wasn't. Response to high noon. <laughs> it was just a, oh look, I, I got a budget and I got John Wayne. This mo- picture yeah. will make lots of money, and I'll get to make more movies. Yeah. I'm sure that's all he thought. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> what else you got there on your on your on your trivia blog? Well, since we're stuff? since we're talking about uh, House on American Activities Committee, uh, Gary Cooper did testify, and he was a friendly witness, but he didn't apparently didn't name names, and he his response to the committee was basically like, yeah there are communists here but you know there are many of them they don't seem to be doing anything and you know largely uh, Hollywood's patriotic they're just they're a couple of communists giving it all the bad name big deal <laughs> <laughs> and, and got applause at the end so um, yeah he, he was a lifelong conservative but nobody would ever call him right wing I think that was uh, I can't remember who he was having an affair with a the time who said that but that was largely how people felt about him in terms of politics so yeah he was a founding member of that of the i always have to look at my notes when i rattle off this name motion picture alliance for preservation of american ideals 
um, and then later regretted it. And still, you know, and he, he hung around with people like Picasso and Hemingway and, uh, you know, he, he, he did have conservative ideals, but he seemed to be fairly fair about that, reasonable. I guess. Reasonable. Well, I mean, yeah. But if you look at like Republicans of the 50s, if you look at the Republican platform of like oh, yeah. 54, yeah. it, it was it's completely more progressive different. than the Democratic Party's platform now basically is talking about we should make sure all Americans have a good job that pays a living wage and <laughs> well yeah yeah that whole shift happened around the civil rights so, so, movement so, yeah. I mean that Gary I, Cooper being yeah. a conservative of the 50s is hardly yeah it's, it's a very different thing yeah. well but actors and act, actors that we know as being super conservative uh later like uh uh Charlton Heston and uh and Ronald Reagan had both been Democrats yeah um, and then switch parties around the seventies. Yep. Um, yep. And then Clint Eastwood were... talking to a chair. <laughs> God. Clint Eastwood. I don't know if he was ever. Uh, he was ever a super. You know, ever yeah. a Democrat. But I. I mean, yeah. It, it. You know. It's just interesting to look at some of these actors who had been, who were notably conservative, but actually, you know, around the time mm-hmm. of Kuak were theoretically not. Mm-hmm. You know, even though. Reagan was still too, super supportive of Huac and clearly, clearly was much more conservative than his outward politic claims might have might have made him seem. Yeah. Um, and and you know, uh, a lot of conservatives in Hollywood. I mean, there's the con you know the concept of you know fiscally conservative and socially democrat and or or you know conservative and liberal i should say i mean um gary cooper was a guy who he had a faithful wife for many 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 years but also was a notorious womanizer but apparently i mean that i know that's not such a shocking thing in hollywood but Apparently, like or for his conservatives, or for conservatives, <laughs> or for liberals, whichever. But the thing is, in theory, from what I hear, the his marriage vows didn't include the word obey, and theory is that they actually had an open marriage, and so uh, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. But but um, one one of the other just. Completely I would have random. a hard time turning down Grace Kelly. I mean, I'm just saying. That's yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I would. I'm yeah. straight, and I'd have a hard time turning down Grace Kelly. But uh, other than that, um, he died in 1961. So not ten you know, years. Yeah, about ten, ten years, years after. after this movie. Uh, he was only about 60 years old. Uh, he had prostate cancer, which takes down people real fast, and uh, pretty much worked up until. The day he died, he was filming a. He was making a movie when he was finally taken down by cancer. Um, another interesting thing about him and his health: he was one of these people who would eat incredible amounts of food and always stay thin. Like, I mean, he he doesn't look like he'd be heavy, but he like he was heavy in this movie. He's he was a good six foot three, but he you know nice and tall and everything. But he would eat like a dozen eggs at breakfast and pork chops for snacks and you know just immense amounts of food and never seemed to gain any weight in fact he went through a a, uh an emotional breakdown in the 1930s he was filming 
two movies at the same time and basically working himself to death. He his weight went down to 148 pounds. Wow, it must have been just like like a, a rail. Yeah, I just uh, I envy him that metabolism. Yeah, I really he do. I, yeah he might be part locust as yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Or he was bulimic, and we just yeah, yeah. and we just never knew, and it, it, which is entirely possible. It is possible, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. <laughs> uh, what what else do we need to know about about the movie? His, the his mother's name was Alice Cooper. Oh, uh-huh. anyway, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, George or uh, George Foreman. <laughs> no, Carl Foreman, the writer. Uh, yeah, he escaped to England after making this movie. You know, even before this movie got finished. Uh, his son Jonathan is a writer for the New York Post and the Daily Mail. His daughter Amanda wrote a Princess Die biography, which later got made into its own movie. I think it was called. I can't remember that. I don't know. I can't remember what the like name is. I know it, and I don't. Um, but anyway, uh, he. He died in 1984, um, uh, just about like over 10 years prior to the um, was it the forgiveness of all the people who were blacklisted. Oh, so he never lived to see that in the 90s. Which is but, amazing that it took that yeah. long. Just amazing. But anyway, he, his career kind of started when he was in World War II, and he was in the Army Signal Corps, and uh, he wound up uh, starting to make movies with Frank Capra when Capra was in. Uh, World War II and making movies on the on the front and you know making like instructional films and uh, newsreels. Frank Capra was also, I believe, a supporter of the HUAC. I believe he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh boy, oh, you had bad friends. Yeah. Enough to maybe write a movie about a sheriff who none of his friends will support. Yeah. <laughs> you got the irony that Stanley Kramer did not stand up and support. <laughs> it's, like, it's a whole movie about people being this kind of dick, and you're the same kind of dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's um, also the cinematographer Floyd Crosby, I think, did a wonderful oh, job on this beautifully movie. Beautifully shot film. They tried some color footage and went, nah, let's do this in black and white. And the movie has this kind of overheated look, like it's way too hot outside. It, it does. It's very slightly overexposed, uh, very intentionally so. So it gives that kind of oppressive, blasted well, one, one look one to it. even mentions how hot it is. And you see times they're wiping oh, their yeah. and everything. Yep. They're definitely, which adds to the tension and everything. Mm-hmm. Not only is everyone being coward get cowards and you know this fight is coming up but yeah. it's also uncomfortable yeah yeah the the pressure cooker is on and also uh one of the shots of the train the oncoming train uh destroyed a camera because they there are conflicting stories about what happened there but the camera was smashed but the footage is actually seen in the movie because even though the camera got smashed the film was safe well Hooray. that's great Yay! Conflicting stories about what happened. So there are conflicting stories about the fact that the camera was on the train tracks and got hit by the train. Yeah, and 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 why and how like, that happened. Like that the the train couldn't stop because the brakes were failing and they had to die for safety, or uh, they tried to dig out a pit underneath the train so they could get the shot and it didn't quite work. Or yeah, whatever. 
camera smashed. Basically, the train ran into the camera. The, ch- the train smashed the camera. However it happened. Well, there's it, your problem. <laughs> there's your problem. <laughs> However it happened, he still got the shot. <laughs> also, cinematographer Floyd Crosby is the father of David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Oh, look at that. Ta-da! Yeah, maybe, maybe David Crosby knows what happened to that camera. Yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll just call him up. Hey, David. <laughs> Um, also, uh, Grace Kelly, of course. I don't. Did we get into like Grace Kelly trivia when? No, I don't think we did. I don't think we got. I mean, we did Rear Window, but I don't think we. Yeah, that was a we really, episode, so. And that was a while ago too. Yeah. So Grace Kelly, uh, this pretty much launched her career. She had a shortish film career because um, after she hooked up with uh, Alfred Hitchcock as an actress, she made three movies with him and uh, was famous, famous movie star. She was a wonderful star and then promptly met the Prince of Monaco who like three days later proposed to her and she said yes and she became Princess Grace of Monaco. And after that, she was pretty much no longer allowed to make movies. But real life princess... Because those folks in Monaco, they like their car racing, but they don't like their movie stars. Well, they they like their queen to not be, or princess to not be uh, making movies. I Whatever. don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so she had a few kids uh, with the Prince of Monaco. And then, God, was it like 1981 where uh, she was driving one day along a, a uh, road that was along cliffside. Her daughter was in the car. She had a stroke while she was driving, and the car careened off the cliff. And her daughter recovered, but she did not. So, but yeah, so much for Grace Kelly. So and much for Grace go, Kelly. A tragic death. I tried. There's your tra- did, there is your tragic death, Tim. One of real education themes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Is tragic. Well, and we also had the Gary Cooper tragic death of dying from pancreatic cancer while oh, yeah. still still a working actor, still 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 able. He could have maybe beaten John Wayne out for that Oscar in True Grit. Maybe <laughs> it could have it could have happened. Um, At least decked him. That would have been fun. Or, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever. It, it's, so so we've got a couple of tragic deaths. What else do we have? Well, let's see. Uh, Lloyd Bridges, who was in the film, was... I've uh, heard of him. Yes. Uh, he, he was also a gray-listed actor. So not quite blacklisted, but definitely shut out of roles for a while. Um, but uh, he was proudly on display here. Lloyd Bridges, uh, father of Bo, it was Bo Bridges Bo and, and Jeff, Jeff Bridges. and yes. uh, lovely actor himself. And most of us of our generation know him from the airplane movies. Yeah. <laughs> My first movie I shot, ever saw him in was in the Hot Shots Part Two. Oh yeah, yeah. Hot Shots. Yeah. yeah, or the first one of those. So. <laughs> This isn't the right week for me to stop sniffing glue. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, you know, of course... His character, by the way, is a total douche. Yeah, God. I just... That, I what a... Serving, like, oh, he's yeah. only going to help if he can get yeah. himself a promotion. I, the, the, answer, the answer he gets is like, yeah, I need your help, but I'm not going to buy it from you. <laughs> it's like, either you do it because it's right or fuck off. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> 
If they made that movie today, that's what he'd say. And, and that's why I'm glad For they sure. didn't make that movie today. No. But There's still, like several it, moments where like, that was a modern movie, there'd be a cuss word right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it entertains me to think that what he would have said if it was a modern movie was. <laughs> you either help me what you because you want to or fuck off. Quentin Tarantino's High Noon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, High Noon was... I kind of want to watch that now. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> yeah. It's a remake. I'd be okay as long as just QT's own weird thing. Yeah, I'd be good with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. Well, I'd watch it. Yeah, maybe that's what he'll do with the Star Trek movie. It'll be eight out of nine. Would watch mm-hmm. yeah. Star Trek High Noon. Yeah, directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> All for it. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. The fuck. Right. Yeah, I'll be there. I, oh, I will be there. I am so going to be there. I, it could be the worst thing ever, and I will be eating popcorn with a big grin on my face yeah. the whole time. Yeah. See, all you need to do is go, Quentin Tarantino, and like anything after that, it's like, I am. I have my tickets, I, I, I have my popcorn, I will I don't watch like it. it. There's been a couple of films I didn't like, but yeah. I was there watching it. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. He he produces spectacular failures as well as he produces spectacular successes. It's always interesting. It's always spectacular. <laughs> but anyway, back to High Noon, not the Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino's High Noon. <laughs> not Quentin Tarantino's High Noon. Um, High Noon was Bill Clinton's favorite movie, and it was played 17 times in the White House while he was president. Nice. Uh, also, apparently, Ronald Reagan's favorite movie. <laughs> Ironic, but Ronald Ironic. Reagan never seemed like the sharpest tack in the box. Yeah, that's uh. that, that, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is an allegory. <laughs> All right. This is, this is just a good movie. Well, Reagan was just a movie fan. He was a so, movie fan. Yeah. Huge movie fan. That's why he kept telling stories about movies that he thought were true. Yes. <laughs> oh, Alzheimer's. Yay. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Politics. <laughs> They're never in movies. Never. Never. never especially not in this one. <laughs> <laughs> What's it really about, Tim? The House of American Activities. <laughs> Preach <laughs> it. Preach it. It's not even subtle. Oh, yeah. And Harry Morgan's in this, too. He is. From MASH. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and did I mention Jack Elam? Jack Elam's in this. I'm always a Jack Elam fan. It's, no, it's great. It's a great cast. Yeah. A great cast yeah. of, of classic character actors, a lot of classic Western actors. Mm-hmm. You know, again, things like Lee Van Cleef in his first in his first film role. Gary Cooper had had, had done several Westerns by that yep. point. Yep. Um, just really... He got his start as a, a stunt writer, I think. Yeah. His early... This, he rode horses on film early on in his career because he was good at it. Yeah, so. silent film, and he had like a tiny, tiny role in Wings, which was the first movie to win Best Picture. Ah, Gary Cooper. Gary Oscar Cooper. Cred. A All lot right. of it, actually. We are getting close to final thoughts, so mm-hmm. i got to check with you, Melissa, to see if there's anything else that needs to be discussed before we get to our final thoughts about the film. No, I've got, but I've got a good final thought. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I will throw it to Kyle. You get the first shot at a final thought. Uh, it's a... Uh... I think it deserves its place as a revered classic after watching it. And uh, it's it's now my go-to joke, maybe about every time they said, there's no politics in art. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> when people think that's a modern phenomenon, I may point that 
use this as a great example. Good. All right, Melissa, final thought. Okay, about a year prior to this movie, there was a Western called Distant Drums, if I remember right. And in in that movie, uh, a guy on horseback is shot, and he screams, and he falls into the mud. And um, a scream comes out of his mouth at that point that he gets shot, sure. and he falls into the mud. Well, the character's name is Wilhelm. Uh-huh. And the scream was later resurrected uh, by the sound editor of Star Wars who started using the scream all over the freaking place. And it has become kind of this uh, cinema sound junkies stock scream right, called the, the Wilhelm. Wilhelm scream. Yeah. Well, the Wilhelm scream, by many accounts, by what research stands today, it's... Evidence points to um, that that particular scream didn't come from that particular actor that fell off the horse, but it was dubbed in from the the stock sounds. Uh, I think it was the Columbia Library or whatever, and they found the recordings of those sound those those shrieks. And there's like five different shrieks of that same recording. This guy making all these weird screams that kept getting used over and over. Uh huh. I and like it's, it's not. It is. It, it is. I'm getting very close to it. Uh, the creditor is not credit. The actor is not credited on that recording, but one of the well-known voice actors who was doing a lot of that voiceover foley work at the time was Sheb Woolley, who played Ben Miller in this movie. <laughs> and who later recorded the song Purple People Eater. And uh, they contacted his wife, and she listened to the Wilhelm Scream recordings, and she was like, yeah, that's my husband. So so there you go. Wilhelm Scream is in this film. The, the, the guy who made the Wilhelm Scream. Not, not the Scream itself. I mean, I, he I, made the Scream itself. I mean, no, he, not, but the Scream itself is not in this film. The Scream yeah. is not in the film, but the guy who made the Scream and Purple People Eater is in this and movie. Wilhelm Scream is a is a cooler name than if it had actually been called the Wooly Scream. The, the Wooly Scream. The Sheb. The Sheb Scream. <laughs> the Sheb Scream. <laughs> so, so my final thought is, um, I think one of the things that uh, at the time when they were making westerns, westerns were very, you know, they were action films. You were you were waiting for the shootout to happen, and I think one of the things about High Noon that really works well is in a time where that's your expectation of a Western. What they're doing is setting up a situation where the last thing you want to see happen is the shootout. Yeah. Because it's not going to go well. At least that's what they're setting up. You know, They're setting up that he's in an impossible situation. I like that they take something that's expected, a Western trope that's expected, and they turn it on its head. And they say, we don't want you to anticipate the shootout. The shootout is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get there. And the use of the clocks and, and the fact that it's, it's played out in almost real time accentuates that. And I think that's why it's a really excellent film. Yep. So, uh, having said that, I need to say that what we're going to watch next is The Goonies. I know we've said that before and it was a lie, but I swear this time it's the truth. <laughs> we swear. We the swear it. The movie we're going to watch is The Goonies. Goonies! Uh, thank Kyle for being our guest here today. Oh, Kyle, very did you have anything you'd like to plug? I, yeah, I, uh, they mentioned I watch lots of movies. I have a website called hotchocolatemedia.net. On there I have a, my big project this year is called The Daily Cup where I'm watching 
365 movies in 365 days and writing about all of them. So uh, that's up today. Today's film that is up is The Raid. Woo! You can check that out. It's uh, so good. It is very good. I'm I'm way ahead on. I've, I think I've watched 38 or 39 films for the year, but I, I'm writing the essays every morning because I haven't. I I got cut up once in a head, and then I decided instead of keep writing, I'll let myself catch up because I'm smart. Speaking, <laughs> speaking as a writer, I don't know what that's like. Uh, so all right, well yeah, you should check that out. Hotchocolatemedia.net. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find it there along with some of my web series and my own podcast. So, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff on the website. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kyle, again for joining us. Thank you all for listening. We are done. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Deep, deep.